Well, good morning. Um, I'm going to wrap up the being and building um, series here in my topics, the social life. Um, a lot about what we'll talk today is uh, from the red letters. Brian had spoke about that a few weeks ago, about the red letters, which is when Jesus is talking. Um, Wade, I brought my Bible this morning. Um, Tina's been on me about getting it recovered, so I, I got it recovered. I did it myself. <laughs> Duct tape uh, fixes everything. Uh, that was a good challenge Wade had brought last week. Um, I was kind of brought up in church to always take your Bible, but most of the time I took it and set it on the pew beside me and never opened it up. So uh, I've been challenged about bringing it to church. These things are really cool and nice, and I'm going to use this a good bit today. But there's nothing like having the actual Bible itself. Most of my friends would know that I would not probably pay to get it recovered. I would do it myself. But I probably need to get that done before it falls apart. Uh, one thing I learned this weekend is uh, stuff. That's my word for this weekend was stuff. Too much stuff. And two people in the front row are laughing at me because they know how much stuff I had uh, as we moved this weekend. And I'm over stuff. You know, I've never looked at myself as being wealthy, but probably to 90% of the world, uh, we would be because just all the stuff we have. So uh, if you need anything, want anything, um, come see me. I'm sure I've got it and you can have it. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get rid of stuff. Um, this morning we're going to talk about let your light shine, which is very difficult right now during uh, our time of history. Even more so, love your enemies is even tougher. And then do unto others. It's hard to do. Those three things on a, on a normal day when things are really going well, much less in trying times that we're going through now. In Matthew 5, was pretty much the Sermon on the Mount. It's when Jesus is preaching to probably uh, local folks, common folks, you know, folks like from Blackville, South Carolina, just good old local, common, hardworking folks. Uh, I won't name a town that they probably were not from, but he was not probably talking to really high-fluential people. And there is no high-fluential people in Blackville, just let you know. Uh, he's teaching about the Beatitudes. Um, and the Beatitudes are basically saying, standing firm in your faith when times are tough. The first one says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number two says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteous, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who per are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I thought for a long time, being in law enforcement, I was automatically going to be a child of God because I was a peacemaker. And that's the go-to verse that law enforcement always uses, but little do we know what it really means. He also teaches in Matthew 5, he's talking about the Lord's Prayer. I learned that at a very early age. My dad sponsored a softball team for about 40 years, and from the time I was three, uh, being the bat boy, to 16, actually being to be able to play on the team, we would say that prayer before every game. We'd get in a circle, put our hands in, everybody put their arms around each other, and we'd recite that Lord's Prayer. And within a couple of months, I had memorized it verbatim. The sad part about that, three innings into the game, 
somebody was cussing and swearing and getting ejected from the game, and I'm thinking, something's not right with this picture. We just said the Lord's Prayer, and somebody's getting ejected from the game because they're disagreeing with the umpire's call. But it was something I'm grateful that I had learned at an early age to understand what it actually meant. First one we're going to talk about is let your light shine. In Matthew 5:16, it says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. I actually want to go back and read verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. See, Jesus is talking about salt and light in verses 5.13, chapter 5, verse 13. And if seasoning has no flavor, it has no value. And if we as Christians make no attempt to affect others for Christ, then we have little value to God. See, are we trying to blend in with everybody in the world? Are we trying to blend in with everybody else? Are we trying to be a person of success rather than a person of value? About four or five years ago, I remember a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend trying to protect the names. Um, he shared with me that God had given him a vision for a ministry name, the name of a ministry. And I thought it was, man, it was really exciting. It was a really cool name. And four years later, speaking to the friend of the friend, I asked him how his friend's ministry was going. He said he hadn't started it yet. That he hadn't been given the vision of what the ministry actually is going to be. But he still has the name. And I think a lot in life, we have good intentions of letting our light shine. And we come up with cool ministry names and the things that we think are good, but we actually never do it. We never let our light shine. We tell people, man, check this name out. I'm going to put this all over my t-shirts and my hats. But four years later, we hadn't even made the hats or t-shirts yet, and we hadn't put our feet to the fire. In five, verses five, or chapter 5, verse 14, it says, it's basically transcribed, can you hide a city on a hill? See, because if our light is shining, you can't hide. Everybody will see when your light's shining. And notice in verse 16, it says, so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It doesn't say praise you. I know oftentimes when I would do ministry with Jeff and we were in the boys' home in the boys' camp, and people would come out, and they would really enjoy what we were doing. And I would get all these emails or text messages the next day, and Tina and I, of what a good job we did and how it went really well and how I thought it was made an impact. And for a minute, I'd be on cloud nine thinking, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. And then I would have to really sit back and, and think about, was I honoring God or trying to honor me? So that's always been a challenge for me is to make sure what I'm doing and letting my light shine is not honoring me, but honoring our Heavenly Father. And in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, 
says, in the beginning, the world already existed. He was with God, and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Life itself was in him, and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I think about when I first moved to Beaufort in 1994 as a trooper. Back then, you had no uh, say-so where you went. Um, and that's where I got stationed, and um, I had two weeks in a hotel they paid for, and after that, you're on your own, and four of us got sitting down there at the same time together, and all of us were single, and we were going to get this big beach house in Beaufort until we saw the prices, and then we was like, each is his own, good luck, and two weeks later, I still hadn't found a place to stay. I was used to my little $200 a month rent in Blackville, and go down there and realized how expensive it was, but I did go knock on the elderly lady's door. There was no sign in the yard. I just knocked on the door. She came to the door. I said, is that little cottage for rent? She's like, oh, goodness, no. You know, that thing's old. Nobody's lived in there years, and it's dirty. And I said, I don't care. I, I need somewhere to live. So she agreed to let me do it, and she didn't charge me rent for a couple of months so I could paint it and put some carpet stuff in there. But I remember the first night coming home from work, and it was 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I cut the lights on, and there was these things running all over the floor that Wade and I would call water bucks. Wade and I talked about this a few weeks ago, um, and I think that's just the, the, the nice way of saying they were really big roaches. But when I turned that light on, there were hundreds, and they went everywhere, and I was like, oh my goodness. So I sprayed and sprayed and sprayed, and it took care of a while, but you know, I never saw them during the day. And the reason I didn't never see them during the day, because the light had exposed them. They knew I was there. They knew they were in trouble. But when I left for work, cut the light off, evidently it was party time, and they would come out. It's kind of the way we live our lives today. When the light's off, we think that nobody's paying attention. Nobody's watching. We do things that we normally wouldn't do during the day. I think about working as a trooper. Our call volume would probably go up 50% at night versus the day, especially the weekend night. It'd go up tremendously because people were under the cover of darkness when they would commit crimes that they normally wouldn't do during the day because we could see them. So if our batteries are not charged, our light's going to go out. So how do we charge our batteries? We've talked about it several times. We, we open this here up, but not just on Sundays. Every day getting the word, and it would charge your batteries. I think Jeff and I just had this conversation this weekend that he was leading a men's group about, he challenged them, or asked them just point blank, how many of y'all read this daily? And it was very few. Very few read it weekly. I've been through those times of being in a slump where I open it every day. But whether I open this every day or this up to the Bible every day, that's something that I have to do to keep my batteries charged. See, there was nothing worse and walking up to a car at 2 o'clock in the morning, when I took for granted, uh, I'm just too lazy to go to the trunk of my patrol car and put my battery on a charger because back then it was in the trunk. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, you stop a car and you walk up to it and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you get almost to the car and your battery light goes out because your battery just died. And at that point, you do, what do you do? Do I act like a scaredy cat or a chicken and run back to my car and just tell them to go ahead or do I finish what I'm supposed to do? Back then, we didn't have cell phones. We could reach in our back pocket and cut the flashlight on. Those were not in existence back then. So to keep that from ever happening, I had to spend a little extra time and go to the trunk of the car and put it on charge 
or to carry two batteries, keep one on charge all the time, where if that ever happened, I would be ready. So my challenge to you is, are you ready, and are you keeping your batteries charged? I know a lot of times in my life, I purposely didn't keep my battery charged because I wanted to hide under the cover of darkness. I didn't want people to see what I was doing because I would be ashamed. But today, I keep... And in uh, Matthew 5, 44 through 46, it says, But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as, as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives you his sunlight to both the good and the evil, and he sends rain to the just and unjust too. If you only love those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. See, this is Jesus talking. The law of Moses said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Jesus says, love your enemies. I know I'm using a lot of highway patrol analogies, but that's all I know. In 1995, April of 1995, I pulled over a car to write him a warning. And 10 minutes later, I've got a a broken compound, broken leg. Um, trying to arrest this guy. I won't make, I won't go into long details about it, but the guy's name was Tommy Arthur Lee Singleton. I'll never forget his name or his date of birth. But six months on the highway patrol, I'm thinking I've got 24 and a half more years of this. Two surgeries later on my leg. But I can't say any time in my life have I ever hated anybody. I've disliked a few people, but I've never hated nobody, but I hated Tommy Arthur Lee Singleton. So much so, six months later, after I healed and came back to work, I ran across him again in a parking lot, and he waved at me with a certain finger and said certain choice words. He spent one day in jail and got time served for this incident. He was a habitual offender, driving on suspension, some, uh, however many offenses, assault and battery, third offense. And I hated Tommy Arthur Lee Singleton. A year later, after that incident, I had to have surgery again. And right during that time, I had started going back to college. I was running late to school one day and had to park on this side of the campus. And there was a tunnel that went under the ground between the two campuses. And as I was going through the tunnel, I passed a beautiful young lady that's sitting right here. So I purposely started parking on the wrong side of the road. So I could run through this tunnel so I could pass her. And for, I don't know, four or five months, we didn't say a word to each other. Didn't even just hello and that was it. Well, a year after this incident, I had to have surgery on my leg again. So I see Tina one day and two days later, I'm back at school and I'm in crutches and a big cast. And she asked me what happened. It was the first words we'd ever spoke to each other. She asked me what happened. So I tell her this miraculous story. And, um, and that's how we started talking. And it probably took me... 15 years later to realize had I not broken my leg she might not be sitting here today 15 years later I'm backing Buford again working a special assignment there's about 10 of us in a gas station taking a break and guess who walks in the door Tommy Arthur Lee Singleton 
He walks in. He goes, hey, how y'all guys doing? Just kind of wave generally. And all my guys turn around and go, hey, how you doing, sir? And he walked in, and I didn't say a word. And one of the corporals, he knew me very well and knew my background, looked at me and goes, something's not right. What was that about? I said, you see that guy right there? He goes, yep. I said, remember my leg 15 years ago? He said, yep. I said, that's him. I said, when he walks out of this door and gets in that car, I'm going to get him. I said, because there's no way he's gotten his life together, and there's no way his license is good. He got in the car, and I got in mine. He pulled off, and I pulled right behind him. We crossed the Broad River Bridge. I ran his name and date of birth from memory from 15 years earlier, and it came back. His license was valid. At that moment, I pulled over. I was actually shaking. And I realized for 15 years, I had hated this guy. He was my enemy. At that moment, I felt the Lord telling me, regardless if you agree with his time he served or the consequences he's got, that's not your decision. Your decision is to love your enemies. And it took me 15 years of carrying that hatred for him to forgive him. If he walked in the door right now, we probably wouldn't be best buddies, but I would like to talk to him. Don't even know if he's still around. So that really convicted me when I chose this topic to do, to love your enemies. And I go back and think, if it wasn't for Tommy Arthur Lee Singleton breaking my leg, there's a really good chance Tina and I would never have met. So I actually need to go up and hug him and thank him for what he'd done. In 2 Samuel 1, Saul was trying to kill David. A lot of us may even know that story. So here's a guy chasing David down, trying to kill him. But when David hears the news of Saul's death and Jonathan, he tore his clothes and he wept. See, 15 years after the incident of Tommy Lee Singleton, up to those 15 years, if I'd have heard that somebody killed him or he died, I would not have tore my clothes and wept. As a matter of fact, I might would have thrown a party at that time. But I think about somebody that would be trying to chase me down to kill me if I'd heard that news, how would I react? Not only did David tear his clothes and wept, the guy that come and give him the message, they ended up killing because he killed Saul. And did not only David do that, David praised Saul's soldiers for how they represented and how they were faithful to Saul. That's pretty strong when you're talking about loving your enemies. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and strength. See, God for 15 years was telling me to love Tommy, Arthur Lee Singleton. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. So we often wonder today why our country is in such a mess. 
Because we're letting other people teach our children. And I'm not talking about science and mathematics and social studies. I'm talking about love, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we need to be teaching our children. See, in Galatians 5.13, For you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But instead of showing love among yourselves, you are always biting and devouring one another. Be aware of destroying one another. So we don't often see that today as people lifting people up, especially in the political arena arena we're in today, is always devouring and destroying. In Matthew seven twelve it says, Do to others what you would like for them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and in the prophets. See, this is referred to as the golden rule. Most of us know the golden rule, but oftentimes the golden rule is misquoted. One way it's misquoted, if someone hurts you, then hurt them. I always heard that. An eye for an eye and a cheek for a cheek. And, you know, if they hit you, hit them back. If someone hurts you, then hurt them. If they do this, then you do that. Second way is don't do to others what you don't want done to you. You don't invite me to lunch, I won't invite you. You don't ask me to do this, I won't ask you to do that. You stay to you, I stay to me. That's not what it's saying either. The verse says, what would you like, not what they actually did. See, Jesus made it into a positive life. See, for me, it's easy to refrain from hurting somebody. It's easy for me to refrain from doing something evil. Not so much in going out of my way to do something for somebody that can't help themselves. It's not easy to do stuff at the Scooter Scott Project often because it's taking time away from me. It's not easy to go help somebody that's not helping themselves. It's not easy to go help somebody that's maybe put themselves in that position. But God says, do unto others as you would have done to you. See, my flesh tells me to get even with Tommy Arthur Lee Singleton. That's what it told me for 15 years, get even. Not going to knock on this door and ask him to uh, forgive you for hating him. In Romans 13, 8 through 12. Hold on. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandment says, You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for all, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. 
Don't participate in darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or quarrelsome and jealousy. See, why is love called a debt or love for others called a debt? It's because we are permanently in debt to Christ. For the lavish love he's poured out on us, we should be decent and true in all we do so everyone will approve of our behavior. Sometimes we slip, sometimes we may fall, but sometimes we make a habit of doing it. Sometimes we intentionally do it. Let's try not to go out of our way to. You can't have a right, a right relationship with God and a wrong one with man. And to sum up this whole teaching this morning, it's pretty simple. It's just one simple command. Love your neighbors as yourself. I want to close with a song that some of y'all may have heard. And the title of the song is actually Red Letters by David Crowder. It says, There I was on death row, death row, guilty in the first degree, son of God hanging on a hill. Hell was my destiny. The crowd was shouting, Crucify, could have come from these lips of mine. The dirty shame was killing me. It would take a miracle to wash me clean. Then I read the red letters. And the ground began to shake. The prison wall started falling, and I became a free man that day. Felt like lightning hit my veins. My dead heart began to beat. Breath of God filled my lungs, and the Holy Ghost awakened me. For God so loved the whole wide world, he sent his only son to die for me. Arms spread wide for the whole wide world. His arms spread wide where mine should be. Jesus changed my destiny. Thank you, God, for red letters. When the ground began to shake, the grace of God started falling, and I became a free man that day. So if you want your prison walls to start falling and to become a free man, red letters will set you free. Just got to open this thing up. And get to know who's in here. Let's pray.